Well, good morning to you. Good morning. It's a beautiful morning, isn't it? Before I begin this sermon, I want to say something about my attire. In just 18 months, there was a time I came with the right suit, jacket, but the wrong pants, okay? And nobody said anything. I was, I was blessed. And then there was the Sabbath, I forgot my jacket. And so I wore my winter jacket. Well, this morning, I didn't turn a light on. I was in a rush. And I got two shoes. <laughs> but they're not the same set, okay? <laughs> uh, but they are the same color. Now, that would look funny if I had different color shoes. And I don't have my belt. But, you know, I'm ready. And I did prepare a sermon. And, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. I have another pair just like this, right? Okay. <laughs> Very good. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather together to open up your word. We thank you for our scripture reading, our special music, and our opportunity to have a congregational hymn and in our giving. And so, Father, we want to open the word and ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us to to have more confidence and more love and, and zeal for your work. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing a series on the Sabbath. We spoke uh, two Sabbaths ago about um, how resting in the Sabbath is really resting in God. And that, you know, we, we've got to rest in Him all week long to really keep the Sabbath is simply a, a demonstration, an opportunity to give a testimony of how good God's been with us and kept us during the week to be able to worship Him in a holy way on the Sabbath day. But I want us to look at the Sabbath in another way. Um, the Sabbath and deliverance. Now, in our... Did I forget to turn it on? Let's see here. There we go. Now, this is in Patriarchs and Prophets 258. As you'll remember, the, the Hebrews were in slavery in Egypt, right? <clears throat> For quite a long while. In their bondage, the Israelites had to some extent, or had to some extent, lost the knowledge of God's law. And they had departed from its precepts. The Sabbath had been generally disregarded. And the exactions of their taskmasters made it, uh, its observance apparently impossible. Now that was by Lucifer's design, wasn't it? He wanted to put people in such a condition that they would basically forget God's commandments and even particularly make it hard to keep the Sabbath. Does that sound like something that's going to happen in the end of time? Okay. Happening right now, okay. So Moses had been gone for how long? Forty years, right? And now he's coming back, realizing that the Hebrews had forgotten God's law to a great extent, weren't keeping the Sabbath, so what's he going to share with them? What do they need to start doing? Keeping the Sabbath, starting obeying God, right? So, but Moses had shown his people that obedience to God, this is the key to the sermon, 
The obedience to God was the what? First condition of deliverance. And the efforts made to restore the observance of the Sabbath had come to the notice of their oppressors. So Moses comes back after 40 years. He sees the people, by and large, don't even understand the Ten Commandments much. They've lost an understanding of them. Aren't really keeping the Sabbath at all. And he comes back and he's telling them that God's going to, he's going to deliver you. He's going to deliver you from slavery, but your first condition is to now start what? We really need to start obeying God. Because if we don't obey God, how's he going to deliver us from Egyptian bondage? Where we need to begin, he says, is to start keeping, start keeping the Sabbath. Wow. <laughs> and Moses and Aaron, they get this opportunity to talk to Pharaoh. And they go to Pharaoh and he says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in where? In the wilderness. Because what are they going to do in holding the feast? They're going to offer a sacrifice, and they're going to offer an animal that the Egyptians by and large worship. So there's no way they're going to have this feast right around all the Egyptians. So he says, let us go out into the wilderness, and then we'll do our religious service, which would include what day? Without a doubt, the Sabbath day. And of course, Pharaoh doesn't want this, because he figures if I let them out in the wilderness, they may not what? They may not come back. They may just keep walking, right? But Pharaoh had no intentions of letting the people go. He had neither no knowledge, he either had no knowledge of God of the Hebrews or no fear because he says, well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord, right? So either he really didn't know the God of the Hebrews or he just didn't really care because after all, the Hebrews were a conquered people. And in their minds, if you conquer someone, that means your gods are stronger than their gods, right? So why would he have to fear the God of the Hebrews? The Hebrews were his slaves. But Moses and Aaron encouraged the Israelites, and they start going, imagine, millions of people, millions, going around saying, we need to restore the Sabbath. We need to start obeying God. The king of Egypt hears about this, and he says, Behold, the people of the land now are many, millions. And you make them rest. Now, the word for rest here in this text is Shabbat, meaning what? Sabbath. From their burdens. And here's the response. Give no more the people straw to make bricks, for they be what? They be idle. Well, they're idle because they're keeping what? The Sabbath. They're not working on the Sabbath anymore. Because there was a Sabbath reform movement amongst the Hebrews, and remember, the first condition of their deliverance was, was obedience. Okay, was obedience. But Pharaoh hears this, these people have become idle. They're taking a day off. They're not working. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it harder for them. You still have to make the same amount of bricks but I'm not going to give you any straw. You have to go out and get the straw yourself. you got to go out and collect all the weeds and the briars and everything else, and you still got to make bricks because you can't just make them out of mud. 
You have something to have to bind them with. So they bound them with, with straw or they'd be no good. So they had to get the straw themselves and make the same amount of bricks. Now the word rest in this text is Shabbat. Every other place in the Bible, it always means and is related to Sabbath rest. But there's only one verse, Leviticus 26, 34, 35, where it's talking about the land at rest during this, while it's lying desolate, desolate. So when we look at this text, we know it's talking about the Sabbath. Behold, the people, the land are many, millions, and you make them rest, Shabbat, from their burdens. So this becomes a Sabbath issue. In the end of time, what's it going to be? It's going to be a Sabbath issue. And just like them, we're going to need to be what? Delivered. From what? You can't buy and sell. That's pretty much economic slavery, isn't it? Okay? It's very similar condition. Pharaoh's plan. By preventing them to go forth and worship in the wilderness and to keep the Sabbath, Pharaoh hoped to crush any independent, any independent spirit. Now, we're going to be accused by keeping the Sabbath of having what kind of spirit? An independent spirit. That we're acting independent of the world. The whole rest of the world is taking the mark of the beast. They're keeping Sunday, but here's this independent-minded people still keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. And the world, or Pharaoh back then, he wanted to crush any kind of independent thinking. But you know that the people are going to be part of this movement in the end, have to be what? They have to think for themselves. Isn't this right? Because the whole world wonders after the beast as if they're almost hypnotized, right? As if they're not really thinking for themselves. They're doing it because everybody else is doing it. They're doing it because the leaders are doing it. They're doing it because it's a man-made law. It's the law of the land, and they do it because they still want to be able to buy and sell. But in the end... You have to be an independent thinker. You have to think for yourself. And you need to just fall between what you know to be truth, between you and God. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It just matters between how you understand that word and you take your stand on that word. That's an independent spirit. But that's exactly how this church actually got started. Imagine men and women who are willing to leave the Methodist Church and the Presbyterian Church and the Lutheran Church and all these churches had to be independent-minded thinkers to go against the whole stream of all of Protestantism to say, you know, but the Bible says this. They could not be simply followers of other men's thoughts. They had to think for themselves. Satan would also cause them to doubt by suggesting that they were an enslaved people. If your God was merciful, just, powerful, you would be free. Now, what he's going to discover here in a little bit, that they are going to be free because God is merciful, and God is just, and God is love, and God is powerful. The very thing he accused them of why they're enslaved is, in fact, the very reason they're going to be freed. But in his mind, in the current circumstance... Well, if your God was like this, you wouldn't be an enslaved people. And that made perfect sense to him. And in the end of time, the world's going to think the exact same way. You can't be God's people. You can't even buy and sell. 
How could you be God's people? There's not even that many of you. You see, the same kind of doubt is going to be pressed upon you, just like Pharaoh put it upon the people back then. But you've got to know that you're God's people because the Bible says. doesn't matter what a man says. The Bible says that, and that's why you believe it. Now, the response of God's people. There were some, out of these millions, there were some who clung to the promise that God, he would deliver them. They actually believed the promise. It didn't matter what their circumstances are or were. They knew God would deliver them. They didn't know when, but they believed that he would. And they looked at their bondage as a result of their own unfaithfulness. We're not slaves in Egypt because God's not powerful or loving or merciful. We're here because of our own sins. And that's why they were slaves or why they wound up in captive right there in Babylon too. It was their own faithfulness. And you can read that in Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9, right? Now there were other responses. Others looked at their circumstances and lost hope. There were Hebrews who believed the promises. There were Hebrews and they looked out on the landscape and said, you know, we've been here for 400 years. The Egyptians say do this and we do it. Pharaoh says, now make bricks without straw. What are we going to do? We're going to wind up making bricks without straw, or at least no straw provided for us. And they looked at the circumstance, not what God promised. They just looked at their circumstances, and it all seemed very hopeless. So they lost hope. What's going to happen at the end of time? You're going to have Seventh-day Adventists who believe in what? The promise. God will deliver us. We just need to be faithful. We need to obey, keep the Sabbath, believe in the living God. He will deliver us because he's promised. Others got to look at the circumstances and say, this looks pretty hopeless. And then there's going to be those back then that some were content to live in bondage. They just accepted their slave and say, okay, this is just the way it is. And that's the way it is. There's going to be a lot of people going to think that way here in the end of time. And then there were some Hebrews who began to live and think like Egyptians, and they thought, you know, I kind of like Egypt. I wouldn't mind staying in Egypt. And you're going to have that too. There's nothing new under the sun here, is there? Okay, you had all those different responses. So what would, could God do at this point? What's God going to do? He knows exactly how every Hebrew's thinking, right? He knows how Pharaoh's thinking. Well... He could demonstrate his mercy, justice, love, and power, couldn't he? So imagine this. Each plague directed at the Egyptians uh, the Egyptians for enslaving God's people would encourage the Hebrews to serve him and to leave Egypt. There were two things God was doing. There are how many plagues? Ten. God knew he couldn't do one plague because each plague was a way of encouraging all the Hebrews. Some Hebrews wouldn't be encouraged by just one plague. Some Hebrews had to be encouraged that God would deliver them because there were ten. Not everybody's in the same spot. But then he also needed to do ten plagues so that they wouldn't have any desire to stay in Egypt. So God says, look, if I'm going to have you as my people... And I'm going to take you to a promised land, and you're going to be the, my voice in this world. That people learn about me. There can't be any more Egypt in you. You have to trust me 100%.
That's the only way you could be a blessing and a light to the world is if you trust me and you have no interest in Egyptian livelihood and living. Is that right? And these plagues was to heal them of those things. Okay? Notice this statement in Patriarchs and Prophets 270. The Lord was manifesting His power to confirm the faith of Israel in Him as the only true and living God. He would give unmistakable evidence of the difference He placed between them and the Egyptians and to let the whole world know that the Hebrews were under the protection of the God of heaven. God will do things for us as we head in the end of time to give us evidence that he is with us. Okay? There will be demonstrations. In fact, don't you experience that every week? That God will always give you indications he's still working in your life. He hasn't given up on you. Even when you face a trial, it's because God's permitted it so you and I can become more understanding or more forgiving. He says, I'll give you strength. I'm still working on your character. I'm still with you. And God gives us that evidence so we don't lose hope. And he wants us to gain faith in him. That's why he does these things. So we, we increase, our faith is increased in him. Because we're going to need that because things will look awful for us. But if we have 100% faith in God, we know that when we're being oppressed, we're going to eventually be delivered. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, the counterfeit. So there was these ten plagues, and Satan would attempt to counterfeit the miracles done by Moses and Aaron. And in so doing, he hoped to prevent the deliverance of Israel. So if Moses and Aaron did a, a, a miracle, at first it was the water into blood, and then the frogs, and then the lice, and they tried to duplicate these things in an effort that Israel would not be delivered. But Satan had another idea here. He hoped to destroy the faith in miracles. He was hoping that if he could get his magicians, remember that, he's calling his magicians, to do the same kind of thing that all these miracles are just what? They're just magic tricks. And he wasn't doing it just for that time. He was doing it in hope that when Christ would come and perform his miracles, people would say, well, I don't know. There's an explanation for that. I don't know how he did it. But there's an explanation here. And after Jesus performs all these miracles, most of the people still didn't what? They still didn't believe in him. Still didn't believe in him. By the time they came to the third plague, though, this is interesting. In Exodus 8 19, the magicians themselves acknowledge this is the finger of God. The third plague was the lice, and the magicians couldn't duplicate it. And they said, we can't do that. I don't know how, but this has to be the finger of God. Now imagine that, the finger of God. That's what these guys are admitting. But who wouldn't admit to it? Pharaoh himself. And this is an important lesson to us. Because as the time goes on and things are happening, I believe even for people who aren't on our side, still might believe, hey, just let the people worship on the seventh day. Right? Just let them worship. But the people who won't let us will be who? It'll be those religious leaders. You know why? Because they're the ones who pushed for the Sunday law. And their name's on it. And if we despise it, 
It's an affront to them personally. It's not the average senator who's so gun-ho about this. It isn't the average person down the street here who's so gun-ho about it. Some of these people are going to say, why don't we just let these people worship on the seventh day? What's the big deal? But I'm telling you, Ellen White says these apostate Protestants, they're going to work with what she calls superhuman effort. Why? Because pride's in the way. And that's exactly what Satan did. He's the one who pushed this rebellion. His pride gets in the way. There might have been some... In fact, he had over half the angels at one time. And then he winds up with a third because some of them said, you know, what is he doing? There's been no evidence from God that he's tyrannical or unfair. We're going back to our allegiance to God. So some were thinking for themselves, weren't they? But who's the one who couldn't let go of the rebellion? Lucifer himself. I'm telling you, you put your name on it, you're the one that's going to fight for it. These apostate Protestants, their name's all over Sunday law. It's all about religion. The converse is all about the Ten Commandments. These guys got their name on it. They're going to push with superhuman effort. And when their, when their efforts are despised, I'm telling you, there's going to be a satanic spirit that comes out of these people. And they're the ones going to make it hard on us. Okay? But what we need to remember is that our oppression, and as it gets more oppressive, is all the more surety that we're going to be what? Delivered. If we were not oppressed, we wouldn't be talking about deliverance. It's because we'll be oppressed that we'll talk about deliverance. In fact, and relish in the deliverance. And I want to talk more about that. So, hardening of the heart. At times, Pharaoh seemed to repent and say, you know, I, I didn't do the right thing. But then what'd he do? Ah, he'd go harden his heart, right? Now, here's a principle here. We've talked about it, the seed principle. Patriarchs are prophets, 268. Every display of infinite power rejected by him rendered him more determined in his rebellion. The seeds of rebellion that he sat, sowed when he rejected the first miracle produced their harvest. Every seed has in it a life. It's either going to be wheat or a weed, right? And that, a left to grow, is going to produce a harvest. It can't help itself. It's a seed. Every seed produces a certain life. Everything in our world is from a seed. Human life, every plant, every animal comes from a seed. It always produces a harvest of something. And so when Pharaoh rebelled against the first plague, he planted a seed in his heart of rebellion. And he was all the more likely to rebel again. But he didn't have to. He still had a choice. Now, let's look at this next statement. God gives to each person an opportunity to correct his errors before they become fixed in the character. But if one refuses to be corrected, divine power does not interpose to counteract the tendency to his own action. Every repetition of the sin lessens his power of resistance, blinds the eyes, and stifles the conviction. God works no miracle to prevent the harvest. That doesn't mean God's not trying to put a person back on the right course. He's doing that with everybody. 
if I keep planting bad seeds, bad seeds, bad seeds, the Holy Spirit's still wooing my heart, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. He'll forgive you. But God won't perform a miracle in me to prevent the harvest that I've chosen. If I don't stop rebellion, I will have the harvest of rebellion. Right? And he's just going to have to leave me to the consequences of my own choices. But no matter how much I've rebelled, there's hope. But what I have to do is stop sowing the seeds of rebellion and allow the seed of his word to be planted in me. So instead of being in rebellion, I'm in harmony with him. Is this right? God will perform the miracle of changing your heart, but he'll not perform a miracle to take away the consequences of what you chose. A seed is a seed. He, he created the seed principle. He's not going to go against it. What he'll do is he'll plant new seeds in your heart to plant a new life. So your whole experience is different. It's new. And here's the principle. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. It's just a principle. You can't, we can't do away with it. It's just a law. Now, because the plagues did not fall upon the land of Goshen, which is where God's people were, it was demonstrated to the, notice this, it was demonstrated to the Egyptians that the earth is under the control of who? The living God. That the elements obey his voice and that the only safety is in obedience to him. Do you realize what that's saying? That some of the Egyptians had come to the conclusion because of one plague after the other that you know something? This God of the Hebrews is control of nature itself. Isn't that something? And they themselves came to the conclusion that, you know, we really ought to obey this God of whom even nature is under his control. But, you know, peer pressure. You know, our nation's still the great power. And who are these Hebrews? They're still just slaves. And some people are going to make their decisions that way. Some people are going to take the mark of the beast because everybody else is. Because all these miracles are being done by these religious leaders. I'm not going to take the seal of God because, well, there's not that many people who take the seal of God. They're, they don't have any power. They don't even have money. They can't buy and sell. And some people look at things that way, even if they're convinced that, you know, I think these people are right, though. How many of the 8 billion people in the world are this close to making the right decision but don't? That's a lot of billion of people. Millions will be like that. They know better and still don't choose to do the right thing. But there's going to be these religious leaders with superhuman effort and people feel like, well, what can I do? You know, my vote doesn't count. I don't have a voice. And that's how a lot of people think. Just kind of go with the flow. And that's so sad because people were so close. All they had to do is believe the truth. All they had to do was to believe this principle. And this is kind of how we're going to end. Do you know how sweet deliverance is? We would only know it if we were what? Oppressed. And the greater the oppression, 
the greater the deliverance. Some of these Hebrews, because they start keeping the Sabbath, and Pharaoh said, bricks without straw. Some of them started looking at the Sabbath and said, you know, the only reason our life is harder is because we started keeping the Sabbath. Maybe we shouldn't keep the Sabbath. Maybe things wouldn't be so tough on us if we just kind of compromised. How many Adventists are going to think that way in the end of time? I don't know. But some are. Companies will leave. Companies will leave. But they got it wrong. That's absolutely wrong thinking. We've got, out of our 20 million Adventists, we've got millions who are scared about this Sunday law because it will bring oppression. Many don't want to live during this time. But we're missing the point. If it wasn't for the great oppression, we wouldn't have this great deliverance. You see what I'm saying? Is that the more I'm oppressed, the greater the deliverance. Go ahead. Chain my hands. Put me in a prison cell for the Sabbath. It's okay. Because you know what God's going to do? He's going to break these chains. And instead of being in a cubicle and it's 10 by 10, I'm going to be able to visit unfallen worlds that I don't even know exists out there. Go ahead and take my house. Because God's got a mansion for me. The more you oppress me, the greater the deliverance. I'm telling you, friends, people are going to look at obedience as a curse on them, when in reality, obedience is your deliverance. It's our ticket to get out of here. This is something to look forward to. This is why the disciples could wind up in prison and be singing songs. I don't know how God's going to deliver me, but I know this jailer can't keep me in here because I worship the living God. If I'm still in here, there's a purpose. Maybe I'm supposed to witness to some resident of the jail. If I'm here, God's got a reason. But I know God's going to deliver me. And so I'm telling you, friends, what's coming is glorious. Don't worry about it. Think about the deliverance that comes through it. It'll be sweeter, it'll be better than anything we've ever had. Now this is kind of a neat thought. And, and this, is, this is Revelation 15. This is, the context is the 144,000. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the victory over the beast. And over his image, and over his mark, Sunday legislation, right? Over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass. They, they were oppressed, but where are they now? Ah, oh, they're on the sea of glass. Having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I find that very interesting. That the 144,000 and the time of Moses sing the same song. Why do they sing the same song? Because they were oppressed? Well, throughout history, guys, people have been oppressed. Whether you're looking at the first century or the Middle Ages, they've all had oppression. But let's go back, let's ask them, we're going to get back to that. Let's go look at this question. 
So why were they? How did they get this victory over the beast and so forth? Well, Revelation 14, 12, this is how. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they the what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. How'd they overcome? What was the condition? Obedience. That's how they overcame. The only way to overcome the mark of the beast and the beast and the image of the beast is through obedience to God. You can't overcome it by buying enough buckshot and beans. You can't prepare for it that way. The only way you can overcome the beast and the mark and his number is by simple obedience to God. Always be faithful to God's commandments by his grace. That is your deliverance right there. There is no other deliverance for you. You can't buy your way out of this. You can't get a deep enough bunker house to get out of this. It's only going to be by God's by obedience to God's commandments. So how do they get the victory over the mark of the beast? Sunday legislation. How do you get the victory over the mark? By taking the seal. Right? You're either going to have one of the two. You're either going to have the seal of the living God, or you're going to wind up with the mark of the beast. So how do, I, how do I not get this mark of the beast? Because the Bible says, man, if I take the mark of the beast, I'm going to experience the wrath of God. Tell me how I don't get that. Well, Jeff... I can tell you, there's one way. Receive the seal of God. Well, what's that? Well, in general, it's what? The commandments. But it's specifically, it's, it's the Sabbath. Isn't it? Jeff, if you don't want a mark of the beast, you've got to have the seal of God, which we require, first condition, obedience to those commandments, and in particular, in the end of time, just like Moses, the Sabbath. And when you keep the Sabbath, it's because you believe in the living God who created heaven and earth. And isn't that part of our first angel's message? Worship him who made heaven and earth. Right? Points directly to the Sabbath. Because when we preach that message, we're giving people hope to be delivered from sin. Delivered from being part of persecuting God's people. Delivered from taking the mark. Delivered from the image of the beast. Our message is a message of deliverance because if people don't accept this three angels message, they will be in real spiritual bondage while at the same time controlling every asset in the world. But who cares? This world's going to burn up. You know, we're going to receive a crown and everybody who has your... Anybody's crown in this room will be worth more than what? All the money in this world, all the money in this world could not buy one crown of life. You realize that? And that's what you want. That's your deliverance. That's what you're searching for. And so, what was God's demonstrating to the, the Egyptians? That he was a living God. And why do we keep the Sabbath? Why do we keep the Sabbath? Because we believe in the living God. Who's alive? You know, John's on Patmos, and he's the last surviving disciple, and he says, John, I am him who was dead, but I am, I'm I'm the living God. You don't have to worry about anything, John. You just obey me. I'm going to take care of you. You're on Patmos, and the Romans put you here because they thought I couldn't find you here. But I'm going to give you the most wonderful revelation that any human being has ever seen. And John did get it on Patmos. And again, the Romans didn't think God 
God could get to Patmos somehow. But God showed that he showed him, Paul wrote about the heavenly sanctuary. John saw it. you imagine that? He saw Jesus amongst the golden candlesticks. Isn't that something? He saw the throne room of God. He saw all these angels worshiping. He saw it. Imagine what that did to your faith, right? So, what's the connection between the Hebrews in Egypt and 144,000? And this doesn't mean no other groups sing the Song of Moses, but these are the only two groups that we're told do sing the Song of Moses. So, what's the connection? They both were oppressed, right? They were clearly oppressed. They were in slavery. And we will be in the same situation. Oppressed. But other people have been oppressed of faith. So what we're talking about is a similar oppression. Over similar issues. And for them, they simply wanted to go worship God on the Sabbath. And what about us? What's the cause of our oppression? We simply want to what? Worship God on the Sabbath. The same oppression. We go through the same similar experience. We're going to wind up singing the same song, the song of that experience. Now, I want to show you, where are the Ten Commandments? What chapter in the Bible? Exodus chapter 20. But it's also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, I want to read you something here in Exodus 20. How does, how does the commandments begin in Exodus 20? Verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The preface to the Ten Commandments is, don't forget, because this is how you're going to keep the commandments. That I, as, you, as the Hebrews were delivered out of Egyptian slavery... I'm going to deliver you out of the bondage to sin. But you've got to realize something. They did it without any weapons. They didn't figure out some clever way of escaping. They had no hope. They couldn't do this themselves. I delivered them. And if you want to overcome sin, it's my power that will do it. You can't stop this by yourself. It's like a freight train that you can't stop. It's in you. And the only one who could stop that freight train of sin is me. But you've got to let me. It's my power. You're going to have to trust me. Okay? And that's how the Ten Commandments begin. Because before you read any one of these Ten Commandments, you're thinking, that's right, God delivered Israel from Egypt, and God gives me His Ten Commandments because that's going to keep me out of the bondage to sin. That's how I stop sinning is to keep the commandments by his power. But I want you to notice something, that this remember, remember, don't forget, what I did in Egypt is associated with what commandment in Deuteronomy 5? It's the Sabbath. Look at this. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy ox, nor thy ass, nor any other cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. 
that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. Does that sound familiar? Exodus 20, 8 through 11. But notice how the fourth commandment ends. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. You see, that's why they were sorely oppressed more oppressed than ever before because they start keeping the Sabbath. And God says in the fourth commandment, don't forget what happened back there. Because in the end of time, I'm asking you to repair the breach made in the law, which is the Sabbath. Almost the whole world is keeping, is keeping Sunday. In fact, the time's going to come, they're going to force people to keep Sunday. But I don't want you to have any fear. Because in this commandment, in Deuteronomy 5, I'm telling you that when you keep the Sabbath, while you're keeping the Sabbath, while you're being oppressed, just remember this. I freed the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage. And this is my promise to you. In the end of time, if you remain faithful to me, in the midst of a national Sunday law, if you remain faithful to me, I will deliver you just like I delivered the Hebrews. And it will be by my power, and it will be glorious. Something you'll never forget. Right? It's beautiful. God brought them out with a mighty hand to keep his Sabbath, to serve him. He would punish the oppressor. In the end, Pharaoh and his army are all swept away. Isn't that what happened? Pharaoh hardened his heart once again. And the armies go out to try to take the Hebrews who have crossed the Red Sea. And he pursued them. What's going to happen in the end of time? God has a Sabbath-keeping people, and they come to the battle of Armageddon. And they try to wipe out God's people. That's the intention. Just get rid of every last one of them. And what does God do? Just like he did in Egypt. He destroyed the oppressor. Amen. You know, friends, God allows oppression in our world. He permits it. He doesn't cause it. It's not part of his kingdom. God is just, but the day of judgment isn't. It's the judgment time. But the awards, awards haven't been handed out yet. And there's a great white judgment throne day at the end of the millennium. And right now, we're just trying to win people to be on the right side. We're trying to give people... The reason we got to get this book out... Because this book's about, let my people go. Let my people, let them go to worship me and serve me. You get this book out, it's telling people how not to stay in bondage. Not in the bondage of Sunday sacredness, not in the bondage of the immortality of the soul, not in bondage of all these other false doctrines out there, because this book spells it all out. And we don't want anybody in bondage spiritually or doctrinally. Because you know what this other book says? It says we will be in bondage, we will be oppressed, but we will be freed. I'm telling you, the greater the oppression, the greater the deliverance. Wow. Wow. Praise God. 
Now, the Bible says we'll be oppressed in Revelation 13. It says we won't be able to buy and sell. And they kind of figure out that should do it. They can't live without the world. I mean, they can't buy groceries. They can't put gas in their car, food on their table. Don't have any electricity. How are they going to heat their homes? No more hot showers. Ah, these people are going to give in. They're going to want their hot showers. They're going to want to put food in their refrigerator. They'll give in. They can't live without the world. But God made a promise. Your bread and water will be sure. I will deliver you. I'm going to allow you to go through. I'm going to allow you to go through oppression, and it'll be a little deeper because I want you, just like He did for the Hebrews, to gain more faith in Me. I want you to learn to trust Me, 100. percent Because right now, I don't know what our trust barometer is, but if we've not been tested and tried, we still might have too much faith in ourselves. But God's going to put us in a situation where the only one we can trust is going to be Him. And that's how you're going to receive eternal life. Because now He can trust you with eternal life because you 100% trust Him, not yourself. We have to go through it. We've got to get purified. But the purifying experience is our deliverance, friends. It is our deliverance. So whatever God does, praise God. Whatever we got to go through. Keep the Sabbath was the main cause of Israel's deliverance. If they had not, listen to this, if they had not been required to keep the Sabbath, their oppression would not have been so great. But it was because they were so sorely oppressed that God delivered them. Now I want you to think about that. If there was no Sabbath commandment, then there's no day off. There's no idle day for them in Pharaoh's eye. Is this right? It was because they kept the Sabbath that they were oppressed. Okay? That they were oppressed. And if, if we don't have to keep the Sabbath, well, the Sunday laws don't mean anything much to us, do they? If we're not required to keep the Sabbath, what are the Sunday laws to us? It's because we are Sabbath keepers. It's because we don't want people to take the mark. Because we do realize it's wrong to force the conscience. And it's because we'll then preach the Sabbath more fully that we'll then be oppressed. And the more we preach it, the more fully we preach it, the more oppressed we become. But we've got to preach it. Because if we don't, people take the mark. And what happens to them? They're lost for eternity. Wow. That's a pretty high cost to keep silent. And so we preach, and we don't worry about preaching it because we know we are going to be delivered. So remaining faithful to God, we receive the seal of the living God. We will be delivered from oppression because our oppression will be great. But praise God, what better feeling is there than to be delivered? You know, as and I want you to just remember this. I don't know when the Sunday law is going to pass. Let's say that they're not going to be passed next week, but at some point. The laws get more stringent. Don't become more fearful. Just think about how much greater your deliverance is going to be. And the more I'm oppressed, the more I'm sure that we will be delivered. Not the opposite. Some are going to get more, feel the pressure and say, where's God? We got to think just the opposite. When the pressure gets greater, we're all the more assured that we're going to be delivered. Does that make sense? 
Let me finish up here. Let's look at this verse here. Galatians 5.1, a good one to remember. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Well, you read about the yoke of bondage, really, in Galatians 4. Don't get into all the man-made theology, right? Don't get into all the wrong theology, all the wine of Babylon, because it's just going to entangle you. And entangle you so much, you don't even know what's straight anymore. Sunday sacredness, immortality of the soul, secret rapture, futurism. They're all entanglements. Don't get entangled. Be free. Stand fast in truth. Just the truth. Just stand fast in the truth and you will not get entangled. Your liberty, your liberty is based on truth, not compromising. Just truth. And on our last verse here, and ye shall know the truth and the truth that's the only thing that's going to set you free. Jesus is the truth. So first and foremost, get to know him. And second, the faith of Jesus, the doctrines of Jesus. What did he teach? What did, what did he believe in? But the first thing is get to know him who is the truth, have your confidence in him, and then only preach what he himself preached. Fair enough? Praise God. Before our closing prayer, our closing hymn is... And I know it's a happy one. I remember that. Is it 360? 560? No, that's close. Anyway. 560.